Um, I'm going I'm to read from uh, Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them up? And would you stand? We're going to begin standing again to read the word. And so I'm going to actually read from my Bible, but to do that, I need my glasses. So here we have it. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word, alive and powerful, sharp than any two-edged sword, divides between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And Lord, you know all things. There's nothing hidden from you, but Lord, we don't. And how we need the light of your word. Show us where we are. Show us where you want us to go. Cleanse us from all iniquity. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so on and on go the scriptures. So Lord, as we take just another glance, I hope it's deeper than that for each one of us this morning. And just looking at sitting at your feet and hearing your word. We love you, Lord. I pray your blessing over this new year that we're coming into. I pray your blessing over the things I've prepared. You break them fresh. Feed us. We're hungry. And Lord, we know our need for you, for the power of the Holy Spirit, if we're going to be fruitful in any endeavor. So Lord, please, we cry out to you, the author and finisher of our faith, that you'd bless our time in your word together this morning as your family. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we start out each year, and we'll do this for the next uh, three Sundays. You have on your chair a prayer for 2019. We have a bowl up here that has 2019 on it. So for the last four years, I think it's been now, we have you fill out these prayer cards. After the service today, we're going to have you come up and just put them in here if you filled one out. You have three more Sundays to do that, or two more. And then every Saturday morning at our hour of prayer, we'll take a group of them and we'll pray over them individually. So we'll, we, we hand them out to the prayer group and we get three or four and we'll pray over those, go back into the bowl. The bowl is because in, in Revelation, there's this, I don't know how this thing works, but there's these golden bowls. That the, that the Bible says are the prayers of the saints, and they're poured out. This isn't a golden bowl, but it is a bowl. And so we put them into our 2019 bowl now. We're going to pray through each one of them. This last year, all that we received, we, we went through each one four times. So whatever your prayer request is, you can be filling that out now. I'm going to be t- talking this morning or next week. I hope you can put one, two, as many as you want in there, and we are going to pray for you. We believe, and I hope that you do too, that when we pray, God hears those prayers, and he's answering them. And so I say the more we can pray over each one of these, the better. Would you say amen to that? So what, it might be something you want for 2019. It might be a specific need you have now. And what I love doing is when I get the prayer request and I actually know that person, I take a picture of it on Saturday morning and I email it to them and said, I got your prayer request this morning and I prayed for you. And I think that is just so encouraging to know that people are praying for us. So last week, uh, we were down in Texas visiting with, with our, my son, his wife, and our two grandkids. It was awesome. Gary uh, Vanderhoff, who is a co-father-in-law with me, his, his daughter is married to my son. He taught, and I watched that, and I don't know if you were here or not, but it was an awesome message. 
very timely, ties in with just the, the, the whole thing on Simplify that I want to talk to you about in the next couple of weeks. And so it was only one life, and he talked about the parable of the minus. And he said, basically what he did is he called you, who are here, and myself as I watched it online, to courageously begin sharing the gospel. And so I trust, because I saw a lot of hands last week and then going up and saying, Lord, I'm not doing that. I want to do that, whatever it is. I hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're responding continuously to that, to, to take what God has invested for each one of us, the same thing, the gospel, and invest it in people's lives. Would you amen that to the Lord for me? Lord, help us, because that's what we've been given, this treasure in earthen vessels. So I want to thank Gary for that. I also found out when we were down there, that Gary and I are also going to be co-grandpas again, that my, my daughter-in-law is pregnant with our second, well, actually be our fourth grandchild, so I say, yeah, okay. So, I pray these next couple of studies will be helpful to you. I want to give you a little background on how this happened. Over the last few weeks in 2018, as I, I take regular walks around the Kent area at my house, I was given a lot of thought to my hectic life and my hectic lifestyle, much of it chosen. A big factor was because I've been reading books on neuroplasticity, several of them. Deep Work was one that began the journey, another one called Distracted, another one called The Shallows, what the internet is doing to our brains. The TechWise family, I have a couple more that I still want to read. So I've been re I was reading those, and that's what kind of stirred me in, in realizing, as it talks about how our brains function. And how the brain processes and heals itself. It's amazing. If you haven't read any of these things, it's absolutely amazing. How the internet and social media are affecting our ability to focus, our ability to develop cognitive thinking skills, our capacity in memory or recall, and really the most important of all, is, our, is, is how it's, it's, it's affecting our understanding of what it takes to nurture real, meaningful, and lasting relationships. It's affecting that. And as a Christian, it's affecting how we see our real need for a meaningful and fruitful relationship with God. And so this simplify came to mind as I was taking these walks. And as I would go through the gamut of my own thoughts and emotions, and I still do, let me just bear my, my heart to you. Feeling overwhelmed with the pressures of the tyrannies of the urgent. Feeling the frustrations of endless tasks with zero to no time slots to do them. Wrestling with my need to change, but not knowing how. And wrestling with desire to be changed, but afraid of what that might mean. Fighting off the condemnation of the devil while confessing my own sin. All the while, listen, all the while, assured in my heart that the eternal God is my refuge. And that underneath are the everlasting arms. Full of grace, mercy, and peace. Filled with the hope and joy because of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God in my life. So I don't, it's not without hope at all. But these are things of the human condition. 
and the world in which we live that we wrestle all the time. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so you don't do the things that you want to do. We are in a battle. It's a spiritual battle and it's the forces against which we are no match without the power and a relationship with God. And so the eternal God is my refuge. My life, listen, my life is not boring. It's never boring to walk with God. But I'll tell you, as I was doing these musings, I thought, you know, a boring life sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> let's just, let's be a little boring for a while. So it was during these conversations with God that this one word seemed to shout out to me personally. And it was very personal. It wasn't something I, I had any uh, thinking I was going to be sharing it as a little series. And that's the word simplify. Three other words came with it. Crucify, edify, and multiply. Crucify, I must say no to one thing and then to another thing. So learning how to say no. Edify, I must make time. I'm crucifying, I'm saying I got to say no to some things so that then I must make time to love one another. It takes time in relationship. And then finally multiply, I must trust God to do all the other things. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So those three words also came to mind as I was walking and thinking. And I'll tell you, I've made my New Year's resolutions. Have you? Done it many times. I've had my new word for the new year. Have you done that at all? In 2016, I went away for three days and wrote my life plan according to this book called Living Forward by Michael Hyatt. I did that as I was reading the book. And other such things I do regularly, particularly kicking off the new year, but then all along through the year. Just the whole thing, to varying degrees, they've all helped me to gain aim. I want to have an aim to my life. I want to be, where am I going? If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it. And so we all know that, that need we have to, where are we going? What's happening? So they've all helped me to aim my desire to live my one life. And I want to live it out for God. I want to live it fruitfully. I want to grow more and more love with Jesus. I want to be a, a better godly man. I want to be a more godly husband and dad and grandpa and all those things. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better friend. All those things are a part of what I desire. And in order for that to happen, there has to be some aim to it. But very candidly, as you well know, all these things fade away. The one word. The resolution. And invariably, something else comes along that I find helpful in that time and season under heaven. And so it's all good. But I share this to say this. I have no idea what this will mean in the coming weeks and months and year. Simplify. The triumphs, the defeats, the joys, the sorrows, the gains, the losses, the progress, the setback. I have no idea what this will mean in the coming weeks, months, or new year. The trials and testings, I don't know, and I would rather not know. <laughs> I have no idea what specific plans God has for me this year. I have no idea what the Holy Spirit will be doing specifically in my heart this year. I have no idea what the Lord will require from me, particularly in this next year. I don't, you don't, and we don't. We don't. We can't see the future. 
But listen, God does. God does. It is that profound and it is that simple. Simplify. God knows. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he, capital H, he, God, delights in his way. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? So thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word shows me where I am and it directs me to where he wants me going. And God usually gives me one step at a time to follow obediently and trust him. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And God calls us on this journey, which is not boring, powerful, it's exciting, but it also comes with many of these things that we wrestle and must wrestle through. And so we went through the series on Job, an invitation to what? Trust God's wisdom in all of the complexities of life. I received so much from the Lord through that study. So when I decided to do this little series, I had the four words above and not much else. But as I was taught by my pastor, Chuck Smith, I rely on this little phrase that comes up every new year. This little phrase is the full weight and assurance of what God not only can do, but God, what, what God will do. And it's just this, and many of you know it. It's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God that transforms the people of God. It's that simple. The Spirit of God working through the Word of God that transforms the people of God. And so simplify. The passage that came to mind to begin was this Martha and Mary. It's a perfect picture of busyness and hecticness. Would you say amen to that? Jesus, tell her to help me. And he just, you know, we'll, we'll look at, just let's look at it for a little bit here. It happened as they went. So Jesus and his disciples entered a certain village, which we know as Bethany, a very special place for Jesus, if you didn't know that, this little town. Bethany was the scene of some of the most important events in Jesus' life. It was here that the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was. And he became an invited guest. And listen, when Jesus came, it wasn't just him. <laughs> he had 12 others with him. So whenever he came, it wasn't just, well, we're going to have a bed. No, he had 12 with him. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus invited him in. And it was a very special home to Jesus and his disciples. It was the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, that's pretty important, wouldn't you say? It's where Jesus was anointed by Mary with the anointing oil. It was the very near Bethany where Jesus ascended into heaven. So it was a very special place and very special people. Now he preferred, it seems that Jesus preferred to lodge with them in that last week of his life. He probably stayed there every night and went back into Jerusalem. So that was his home. Some have said that his final week there was, was, his, was only going back to his Judean home. Spent a lot of time. And so there's a certain woman named Martha, welcomed into her house. Martha, very special Jesus, and Jesus to her. We are told the house belonged to Martha, so she's probably, as she's getting ready for the visit, she's watching out for him to come. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and 
heard his word, also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That's central to what I want to talk about this morning. And so Mary was also very special to Jesus. It's interesting that every time we find, we talk, we read about Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. The three times. The first time, it's here listening to his word. And so in each one, there's a certain aroma that's filling the place. In this case, it was food. Can you hear an amen? <laughs> it has a, just a, the aroma of food is fill the house as she's sitting and listening to his word. In John chapter 11, she is not listening to his word, but she is sharing her sorrow, her woe, when Lazarus, her, her brother, died. If you had been there, he would not have died. Gee, why weren't you here, basically? And so at that place, there was the smell of death. If you open that tomb up, Jesus, it stinks. He's been dead now for four days. The final one is her pouring out in worship the fragrance of this perfume, costly perfume. So I find that important that every time Mary is mentioned, she's at the feet of Jesus. Now, how often would it be mentioned that you're at the feet of Jesus in your life throughout the day? Mary was known for just that. So both Martha and Mary, Mary and Martha, loved Jesus deeply. And both were loved by Jesus. They were both converted. They were both esteemed in character and conduct. Note that. But they were very different in personality. Therefore, the way they would express their love was different. When they heard that Jesus was coming... Martha's domestic instincts kicked in. I got to get ready for Jesus. He's coming. This was her home. She wanted to make sure everything was just right for Jesus' arrival. And that is a good thing. She was making sure the table was set just right. The silverware and napkins were in place. The candles were lit. She's making sure it's ready for the guests when he arrived. And may I say this? We ourselves want to do the best that we can in what we're doing in serving the Lord. He should get the best, not the scraps. And that's on our hearts. Now, it appears that Mary was helping. She was doing her job. But then it says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me now to serve alone? So Mary is going about helping, but then when Jesus comes, here's, here's in my mind's eye, Mary's helping, but she's got one eye out the window waiting for Jesus to come. And I think, I picture Martha there. Now, stay focused, Mary. Stay focused. We got to get this done. Got to get this done. And then she sees Jesus. You know, our son Brandon, when he was young, he's still this way. We were going to have guests. He would get so excited about them coming. He'd go out and stand on the porch at the front door and wait for them to come. And I had to gently tell him they're not coming for another three hours. But he was so excited because, you know, Brandon is our social bunny. He likes to hang and do those things. And so that's the picture I get in my mind of Mary. Now, all Mary wanted to do was just listen and talk to Jesus. It really didn't matter if the napkins were on were cloth or paper, whether it was plastic spoons or not, whether it was a seven-course meal or tuna casserole. Didn't, marry, didn't really matter to Mary. And interesting, it really didn't matter to Jesus either. Mary just looked forward to spending time listening, talking, asking questions, catching up on what's been happening with her Lord. 
Martha, in contrast, wanted to just do things for Jesus. And they're both good. Nothing wrong with you. They're just different. It mattered to her. That's okay. And things matter. That's good. She wouldn't think of serving a tuna casserole. Now, both are thinking and both are acting according to the personalities and bents they have to please Jesus, to love Jesus, to honor Jesus. Martha was the task person. How many of you are task people? Mary was the people person. I'm the task person. But as we grow older, we begin, I hope, we begin balancing things a little bit better, right? Both are thinking, how can I receive Jesus here? Martha was walking around looking for things to do. Mary was sitting down looking for things to talk about. And so you see the difference. And that's so true of each and every one of us. It's not that they're wrong, bad. It's who we are. And it's in our hearts to welcome Jesus into our hearts in a way that honors him. But Martha, verse 40, was distracted with much serving. And she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? She's actually sort of accusing Jesus here of not caring and not seeing what needs to be happening. Therefore, tell her to help me. So she's distracted. That word means drawn away or dragged away. How many of you are drawn away and dragged away by the distractions of life? And in her heart, the way she's wired is dragging her away and, and drawing her away. It's not that she didn't want to sit down. It's that she felt like she couldn't sit down. That wouldn't be right to sit down. Now, her thinking was sincere. But Jesus draws out the flaw in all of her sincerity. Notice verse 41. Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha. That's very endearing, twice. Martha, Martha. I said, Martha, now come on. Martha, Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things. Worried means inward anxiety. Trouble means outward agitation. And outward agitation always follows inward anxiety. Have you found that? You see, it's the inward that begins to manifest itself in the outward. And so she's worried about, Jesus wasn't worried about it. And sometimes I see in my own life, Oh, that I could just let that go because God's not worried about that. I need time at his feet. I need time listening. Someone said, trying to break away from my worries was like wrestling an octopus. And that's what it can feel like. Jesus did not say that what Martha was doing was bad, but what Mary was doing, Martha herself needs to understand the importance. And that's what I would, part of what I would say to you this morning as to myself. Not the, but do we really understand the importance of one thing? Sitting at his feet and hearing his word. It makes all the difference. Not just some, all the difference. Out of that flow, the issues of life. Simplify. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, Simplify. Spend time at the feet of Jesus hearing his word. 
and do it regularly and consistently. You know, when I eat food, I don't understand how all the chemicals and stuff work to digest it and make my health, my body healthy. Well, somewhat healthy. <laughs> so spiritually, I don't understand how the word taken in becomes my health and my strength and the chemistry that's needed for good, healthy, spiritual life. He said, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her, or that better part. So simplify. One thing is needed, and listen, we must choose that. I believe we must choose that every day, to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It's necessary. Proverbs says this, my son, give attention to my words, Proverbs 4.20. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Interesting, depart from your eyes, what you're see, how you see things. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Hearing his word. Now, it's not easy to do. And I'm not, a, I'm not at all suggesting that. But it will be impossible to do without intentionally choosing to spend time at the feet of Jesus hearing his word. So as you're thinking through 2019... I pray and hope, bottom of the list, top of the list, both bookends and foundationally, your prayer is, Jesus, let me sit at your feet regularly and hear your word. Have communion with you because it will change every day. It will change how everything goes. In other words, your inner communion with God is no less practical than your outer activity in serving him. It's very practical. Time with him. Both are important. But let me say this. What flows out of the externals is not what you want in your life. You want what flows out of the internals to become what happens on the externals. It's the fruit of what's happening secretly in your heart. One thing is needed because the external can flourish while the inward is dying. The Pharisees are a good example of that. They look so good out, but inwardly they were dead. And our externals can look so good and can seem like it, but yet inside I'm dying, I'm drying up on the vine. When we don't spend time at the feet of Jesus receiving his word, his word gets old and our love grows cold. That's what happens. Worship becomes a formality and prayer becomes faithless. That's what happens. I begin to think in my heart that he doesn't care. He doesn't get it. I begin to overestimate my importance as though God can't get along without me. Oh, he can. And you see, that's the greatest place to be because I realize God doesn't need me, but God's chosen me and loves me. And I operate then from grace and mercy, 
not works and legalism. I begin to complain. That's the fruit that happens when the inward is not being renewed day by day. I begin complaining against others, and that begins to increase. And listen, it always does. Now, the other thing that's a little different, I can still make a good showing in the flesh. And we're good at that. But religiosity is the greatest distance from knowing Christ. It's relationship. And here, here's another thing. I can become satisfied with mere activity. Begin chalking it up, chalking it up. But inside. So Jesus put it this way. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He said to his disciples on that night, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can you unless you abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask me and it shall be done for you. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. You see, the outworking of this intimate relationship, the vine and branches, is the externals that are happening as a result of the internal relationship that's there that now becomes fruitful. Jesus likened to a vine and branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified how that you bear much fruit. One thing, sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. Let it flow from him into your life and your relationship with him. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Full. So another question, simplify. You know, every, every year there's the State of the Union address, right? I would ask you, what's the state of your soul this morning? What's the state of your soul? You see, it has everything to do with you taking time at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word, just like what Mary did. It's one thing that's needed. It's one thing that must be chosen. The psalmist put it this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Here, listen, he restores my soul. That's what Jesus does. Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. It's where, what's the state of your soul? 2019. Are you resting in the everlasting arms of God. Spending time at his feet, listening to his word. Psalm 42, as the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. That's a good state of soul. Thirsting for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What shall I, when shall I come and appear before God? 
longing for him. My tears have been my food day and night while they continue to say to me, where is your God? There are those times of the soul. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them in the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquiet to me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, for he is my, I shall praise him for the help of what? His countenance. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his word. You see, because we all go through times when it just isn't fun. It just isn't happy. I used to go, but now it's as though, where's God? And so I lift my soul and say, that's the state, God. Here's my soul. I'm going to entrust it to you. And he lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you peace. We must nourish our souls with divine truth at the feet of Jesus. We are not losing time by taking time to feed our souls. You see, fruit takes time. It's not immediate. It's not instant. It's not fast. We must nourish our souls in receiving from him our need for him. Our strength lies in God. Would you say amen? My strength lies in this secret place where it's just me and him. And there he ministers to me the strength of my relationship with him. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. That's all happens to feet in hearing his word. My dependence on God as a believer is my strength in God as a servant. I am totally and completely dependent on him for everything that matters. Philippians says, now, Paul said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Is that the state of your soul? I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need, I can do some things, all things, through Christ who what? Strengthens me. One thing, simplify, one thing. Spend time at the feet of Jesus hearing his word. The most important part of Christian life is the part that only God sees. Psalm 1, and if you know it well, Blessed is the man who what? Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He's walking. Nor stands in the path of sinners. Nor sits now in the seat of the scornful. There's a progression. It's happening. Further away and further apathetic until it's just gone. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of God. Nor stands in the path of Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is what? In the law of the Lord. And in his law he what? Meditates how often? Day and night, and he shall be like a, like a tree planted by the rivers of water, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. John, pray that your soul may prosper. To Joshua, this book of the Lord shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it, how often? Day and night, 
that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's the outflow. I have learned that one of the most important questions I can ask a brother or sister or a couple who's having difficulty is are you spending time at the feet of Jesus hearing his word? And more often than not, that went by the wayside a few weeks or months ago, maybe even years. It's a calling back to that basic one thing that matters and makes a difference in all things. Spending time at the feet of Jesus. In July of 2018, Barner Research conducted its annual State of the Bible survey in partnership with American Bible Society to examine behaviors and beliefs about the Bible among U.S. adults. The results show that despite shifting cultural trends, Americans still read the Word and it remains a powerful, transformative tool in their life. I said, that's encouraging. But the question is, <laughs> are you reading the Word? That's the question. It's great, 50% of Americans still consider it. But the question is, are you? Because it doesn't matter for everyone else in the whole United States. If we're not, if I'm not, if you're not. The word is powerful and transformative, but is that in your life? Do you believe and read it as God's authoritative, inspired word that will change your life from the inside out and forever? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his word? Winter groups coming up. And there's one that's not in the catalog. And it's based, it's, we're going to be doing it from this, uh, this book here. And I wanted to share this with you. It's called Living by the Book. And I wanted to read a couple excerpts because I, I believe that Howard Hendricks just hits it so well here. And by the way, before I forget too, uh, what we'll have on our, on our website, CCB. How about you? It's a little survey. If you, it's from this book. If you wouldn't mind going online, tomorrow afternoon will be there, right? Is that right? Yeah. And I, I, my glasses make it blurry. <laughs> this little thing. If you would take it, I would really appreciate it. I'll just, here's, here's a couple examples. It's all anonymous. How often do you read the Bible? Circle one. Never, once a month, once a week, two or three times a week, every day. I would like to get a little survey of our, of our family here. When you read it, how much time do you spend reading? Five minutes or less? 15, 30, 45? So I'm just curious, and I think it would be fun to find out. So if you would go online, you can take that. That's right from this book. But let me, let me just, if you don't mind... And if you do, oh well, because I'm going to read anyway, okay? <laughs> this is a preface to the second edition, okay? It says, why a revision of the living, living by the book? And this book, as he says here, is a standard work on Bible study methods. So it's used in colleges and universities. So why a second edition? Have we changed our methodology for studying God's word? Not at all. And certainly the Bible itself has not changed in these intervening years. But the world has changed dramatically since 1991. So that's when it was first written. Now this is 2009. History has leaped forward into a new millennial. We've got a whole new way of communicating called the internet. The world has gotten, haste, has gotten vastly smaller as the economies have become intertwined. And we in the United States have discovered that we share this planet with many people who believe and behave much differently from us. Would you say amen to that? As always, God's word provides his people with divine insight as we contend with the challenges of this new world. But now we have a whole new generation of young people who need to discover the joy of digging into the word for themselves. 
And so I suppose some might say if we really wanted to reach out to the next generation, we should scrap the book altogether and come up with a fancy interactive website. Perhaps that will happen someday, but probably not on my watch. I'm not particularly computer savvy, much as I can see the value of such a project. However, I try to be biblically, sa biblically savvy, and he is, and, that, and that's the legacy I want to leave behind. A generation of Bible students armed with the ability to, quote, correctly handle the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. I know that the Bible is a book, and books are now considered, quote-unquote, old technology. But, the, but that only heightens the need for guidance in Bible study methods. My great concern is that in its rush to embrace new technologies, the coming generation may forget how to access old technologies because they may lose their ability to read. Hence the passion to produce an updated living by the book. I fully appreciate that young people today live in a visual, experience-oriented world. They place a lot of value on things being real, being, quote, authentic. That's fantastic. But in that case, it's vitally important that their understanding of the Bible be real and authentic as well. You see, a lot of people nowadays are making all kinds of claims about what the Bible supposedly teaches, claims that are simply not true. A closer inspection of Scripture reveals that the Bible doesn't, in fact, teach what they say it does. Likewise, there are a lot of things the Bible does teach that many people don't even know about because those truths are de-emphasized or ignored altogether. The result is that much of our culture has embraced what might be called, quote-unquote, folk religion, that is, popular beliefs based on misperceptions, misinterpretations, stereotypes, sentimentality, and downright wishful thinking. This is not authentic Christianity. And so my appeal to every young person using this book is this. The only sure way to experience authentic Christianity is through firsthand acquaintance with the Word of God. Don't just let a friend or a DVD or a blog tell you what the Bible says. Read and study it for yourself. If you do, you will gain an authority from your personal ownership of Scripture that will stabilize and direct your life, even if the people around you are lost in a fog of spiritual confusion. So he says, those already familiar with living by the book will find that while Bill and I have left previous content virtually unchanged, we have added to it. We particularly enhance the section on application. We make the point that in applying Scripture, each of us needs to take into account the way that God has uniquely and individually designed us. We also need to see that our lives matter beyond our personal concerns. God's purpose is that we become his agents of transformation for the world around us. So if you are interested in, in we're going to be going through the first half of the book, and all we're going to do these first 10 weeks is talk about observation. So if you're interested in that, would you come? You can talk to me or Jeff Steiner. He'll be doing that with me. We're going to have this class, and we're going to go through half of this book. If you would like to do that, and he, he puts right in, it's for the novice or it's for the theologian. So if that's something that might help you, come and talk to us. We'll see if that's going to work for you. But my, my heart to you, as it is each year, hey, we need to spend time at the feet of Jesus hearing his word. It is so powerful. I will tell you, I would not be doing what I'm doing were it requiring fanciness and celebrity totality. I simply believe that God's word is what he said it is. I believe that God's called me as a pastor teacher. I believe and trust that his Holy Spirit will take the word of God and transform my life and will transform your life. And thus, I'm so thankful 
that we have given to us God's holy word by which all the things that pertain to life and godliness become ours if we'll spend time in it. Let's pray. So Lord, thank you again for your word. And as we take time now to worship a little bit and fill out our prayer requests, we cry out to you, Lord, we need you. We need you, oh, we need you. Every hour, we need you. And Lord, in all the busyness and all the chaos and all the <laughs> complexities, if we can just have a little time with you, we know, Lord, we know in our minds and we want to believe in our hearts that it will make a difference. So we worship you. We love you. We take your word, Lord, and we say, please, plant it, Lord, in good soil. And Jesus, you said if we hear it and do it, it's like a foundation. The storms may come, but the foundation stands. And that is we are... <laughs> We've been entrusted and given this great gift. So as we're, as we're worshiping, you can maybe fill out those prayer requests. Let me read something to you as you just words are thinking. J. Vernon McKee said this. My frustrated, confused friend, are you at that corner of life where you do not know which way to turn, then for goodness sake, sit down. Sit at the Jesus' feet. Look in his word and see what he has to say to you. It will help you with your homework. It will help you with your housework. It will make you a better dishwasher. It will help you sweep the floors cleaner. You will dig a better ditch, mow a better lawn, and study your lesson better. Your work at the office will be easier, and you'll be able to drive your car better. I say amen to that. Just take time to sit at the feet of Jesus, which is what Mary did. So let's worship him in song and then fill those out and I'll have you come up and just, in fact, when you fill them out, if you want, you can just stand and come and bring them and just put them in. I'll close in prayer.